This week on Retronauts. I'm too old for this shit. Hey everybody, it's me, your host, Bob Mackey, for episode 23 of Retronauts Pocket, and today's episode is all about police knots. And before I continue any further, let me introduce my uh, co-host for today. Who's across the table from me? Ray Barnholds is across from you You're not today. just a co-host, Ray. You're also a host. No, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to, you know... And first of all, a friend. And a friend, too. Yes. Yes. Ray and I have grown cl- quite close <laughs> in this room. Uh, and let, let me just continue before I go any further. Uh, who is uh, Skyping in with us today? Uh, my name is Michael Sawyer. I go by Slow Beef on the internet, and I am the uh, lead programmer on the Police Knots Translation Project. Yes, Michael knows a whole hell of a lot about Police Knots. And for those of you who don't know, Police Knots is uh, Hideo Kojima, who you probably know from the Metal Gear Solid series and Metal Gear in general. It's this sort of follow-up to Snatcher. It's what you would maybe call a visual novel, a, uh, a Japanese adventure game. Very, very limited input. It's really all about the story. And uh, maybe Michael can tell us a little bit more about where his interest in police knots came from before we continue. Sure. Uh, When I was younger, I was one of the thousand or so people who bought a copy of or had a copy of uh, Snatcher for the Sega CD. And I really loved the game when I was younger. Um, Thought the story was great, all that. And, you know, they never made a sequel to the game. But I had learned as years went by about the spiritual sequel in police knots that was never brought over to the West. So, um... You know, the years been by, I'd, I'd just kind of look it up online every now and again. And I found out about this group, Junker HQ, who uh, apparently had done a translation of the game, meaning actually gotten the Japanese text, uh, rendered an English strip, script out of it, but weren't able to put it back in the game. So I had contacted them with the intention of doing a let's play, a screenshot let's play of it. And one thing led to another, and I, I had never attempted a translation ROM hack before, but I just sort of got into it and uh, became one of the programmers. And I worked with them for about 12, 13 months, uh, actually getting a patchable version of the uh, PlayStation version of Police Knots so you can play the game in English finally. That's right. And and uh, Police Knots sort of had this kind of mythic quality before your the fan translation you assisted with came out and where it was like the one piece of the puzzle that was missing from the Kojima gameography where we saw it in Metal Gear Solid and we're like, oh my God, he made this game. And then we would hear about it, this like this this strange game that no one had ever played. Well, no one that spoke English anyways. Mm-hmm. And it was just sort of this object that we all wanted to covet. And, you know, finally in 2009, the translation came out. And um, can you talk a little bit about, like, the difficulties you faced? I know it was a super complex uh, undertaking, much like, you know, the Mother 3 translation. But maybe you can go into maybe <laughs> a few of the, uh, the the problems you faced and maybe just, you know, how the game was actually programmed. Because I know you fixed some bugs in the game itself. Yeah. Um, so, again, it was it was my first big translation ROM hack project, you know. I mean, I played around every now and again very little, but this was a sort of first in-depth thing. That... Having been said, um, it's sort of funny to see the corners Konami cut when they uh, actually ported this. Because this was originally on the, I believe it's the PC-98 Police Knots. That's right, and, yeah. And then when it got ported to the PlayStation, they added a bunch of um, cutscenes in anime style, uh, animated that is, by AIC. And when they inserted the movies, they decided to do the, to program those sections in a completely different way than the majority of the gameplay. And then they had a lot of new voice acting that they um, 
put onto the discs as well, which also had a different uh, encoding than everything else, which wow. was different from... Then they have a lot of little things. All the shooting scenes are done almost individually differently. Um, oh <laughs> it was Yeah, like the motorcycle scene took about a month to do, and it's 12 lines of dialogue. It's barely worth it. But um, <laughs> you, you, you can't believe when you dig into it how many different ways of doing different things there were. So in a way, it was kind of a good introduction to translation ROM hacking because I learned a lot. Of different ways of doing things because it just used, yeah. it used so many. I didn't. I didn't know about that. Like it feels like the the new content is actually like just patches sewn onto the game. You know, haphazardly, <laughs> like just layered on. That's pretty interesting. It's yeah. It's it's interesting because then when you compare it to the the older version, the PC ninety eight version, you can kind of see the um, the seams per se. You know, where like if one scene was very different between PlayStation and uh, and that old version, I could say, oh, I remember that that was, like, a whole different, like, file, and uh, it had a whole different, like, character set or font file and everything. It was, like, just real... Yeah. It's, like, really weird stuff, you know, when you look under the hood. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, the motorcycle scene, which, again, it's only 12 lines. It had its own font file. It's had its own <laughs> graphics rendering system. Like, I just don't understand why, you know? I think these were like in the the pre the pre middleware days of game development where we had to figure out everything on its own and maybe just yeah. like there were shortcuts and no one was really going to care but obviously you had to care because otherwise we wouldn't be playing the game in English. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I you get the feeling like a lot of different hands were working in the game, you know. So, yeah. so someone was probably big on porting the actual main gameplay sequences from the old version to the new versions, but then someone else said, "Well, we need rolling credits like a movie." So they got an intern to do it and then you know, it does crazy things like switches resolutions. It, it's actually the end credits are a reason you can't play it on PSX, like a certain, like one of the big PS PS emulators. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I never got to see the end credits because of that bug, but I watched the video <laughs> online. I think yeah. Um, yeah. later. But um, we were talking a lot about Michael's involvement with Police Knots. Let's let's kind of define what it is first. Oh sure. Yeah sure. Like many of uh, Kojima's earlier works, uh, Police Knots is an homage to the kind of media he loves. So I mean, Kojima is very much he likes to wrap himself in the things that he loves and. If you follow his Twitter account, you will see that, like, <laughs> I bought the jacket from Drive because I like the movie Drive. Here's me posing, like, the <laughs> yeah. David Bowie cover I like. Yeah. Like, he's very much, like, super enthusiastic, possibly to a fault, but that's who he is. And this game is very much a, a like, a definite sign of that because it is an homage to buddy cop movies of the 80s to maybe early 90s in the vein of, like, 48 Hours and Lethal Weapon. Definitely Lethal Weapon. I mean, the obvious joke to make about this game is, like, uh, Merton Riggs. You know, the black cop yeah. and the white cop. Um, obviously, the visual they're visually patterned after these actors. And um, I'll go into a few of the stereotypes that we see. And if you if you watch The Simpsons at all in its glory days, you will see, like, the movie McBain, that, that, that parody <laughs> series, is what Police Knots is. McBain. Yes. I'm not going to make it. Oh, stop talking crazy. No, 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 no. Just do one thing for me. Get me Dosa. Basically, The Simpsons were making fun of a contemporary kind of movie that's really not made anymore. Like your your Tango and Cash is your Forty Eight Hours, those kind of things. Yeah, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just the stereotype. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Ray. No, no, you're right. No, okay, just the stereotypes we have. We have like the white cop and the black partner. One is older and a veteran. The other one's a loose cannon. You know, like you're off the case. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. You have the world weary police chief. You have the underdog police squad. You have the villain that has ties to the police, ties to the government. They're untouchable, so they have to work outside of the system to get him. And you know, a bomb disposal scene. Basically, all the elements of your you know central uh, late '80s, early '90s action. Uh, you know, 
blockbuster kind of uh, cop story. I'm not sure if I'm missing anything. Michael Ray, did I leave anything out? <laughs> no, you, that's the, you, you, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of little references to things, too. Um, there's even uh, Coma, which is, I believe, a movie ri- uh, written by Michael Crichton. There's shades of that in there. Right. Um, I mean, until- just like Blade Runner had the, I'm sorry, God, just like Snatcher had the shot directly <laughs> stolen from Blade Runner, and that was a Freudian slip. This that, that There's a scene in this, at least in the PC-98 version, where they just took a screenshot of the movie Coma yeah. and just drew their graphics on top of it. Because I'm sure Kojima was like, that is iconic. I want that in my game. Because yep, he absolutely. loves the things he loves, and that's who he is. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, we didn't really talk about how the game plays. And like I said, it's a visual novel. And if you're not sure what that is, I mean, you could, it kind of like floats between different genres. But it's essentially an interactive comic book, if you want to call it that, where you are basically going through scene by scene, exhausting all the dialogue, looking at all the items. And occasionally there'll be a shooting segment, which are not super exciting, kind of like Snatcher. Um, instead of having just like quadrants of the screen that you aim in, you actually have a, a reticle that you move around the screen. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very basic kind of game. And it's very rooted in the Japanese adventure game tradition. And Kojima was kind of following up Snatcher, which was a very similar kind of game with another take on the same genre with Police Knots. And I'm not sure if there are any other major differences I'm missing between the two. I mean, no other than the fact that it is, you know, like real anime. Being yeah. Presented instead of just like pixel art and stuff. Um, yeah. The real anime is included. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, the real anime inside. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Michael. Sure. I, I think stylistically, uh, one of the things is I actually have the PlayStation versions of Snatcher and Police Knots, um, as in the jewel cases. And if you look at, uh, what is it? Um, Snatcher is subtitled a Cyberpunk Adventure, while Police Knots is subtitled Interactive Cinema. Mm. And the, the interesting thing is I do think Snatcher had a little more in terms of interactivity in it. You know, you, you felt kind of like you were in Gillian Seed shoes actually doing these things, where sometimes in Police Knots, even though you're mostly in Jonathan, you're, I mean, you are Jonathan Ingram, more or less, but uh, he would do certain things outside of the player's agency. I have to admit, as much as I like the game, that never sat quite right with me. Like, there's a uh, sequence in Act 2 where he uh, just kind of goes off his own without the player's knowledge and marks something with a lit cigarette. That's right, yeah. And you're not, and that's not even revealed to the player till later, which always made me feel kind of divorced from him, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of most adventure games or visual novels that you play where you are the protagonist and that's that, you know? It's interesting that you say that because at the beginning of the game, you uh, it's basically like sit down and enjoy the show like you're in a theater or something like that. There's just like a little bit of narration that kind of clashes with the rest of the game because it's like, why was this here? But it feels like Kojima's like, this is my interactive movie experience. I want to make this to be like a movie, sort of like he was the David Cage type you know, experience of his day yeah. or the David Cage type, you know, auteur. Or that's what he was going for in the in the mid-90s. And mean, it, is, uh, it is, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. You, you mean those three lines like, um, thank you for your patience and now our feature presentation. Yeah, that's right. That's I've, worked on this so, I've worked on this so much, by the way. I have like some lines just like <laughs> burned into my memory now. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, that, that's the first thing you hear in the game if I'm, if I'm right. That, you're right, yeah. Once you hit new game, those are the first three voiced lines. Um uh, the translator Mark had mentioned this is something that back way back when, if you went into a saw a movie in Japan, that's like something you'd be told in the theater. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, like yeah, it would sure. kind of get you ready for the movie more or less. So, so in a way, I guess he was setting you up for the fact that this was going to be a very cinematic experience, not just in terms of how things are staged, but in the terms of like your interaction with the game, because you don't really interact all that much with the game. I mean, outside of the shooting scenes, and it is it is a very very straightforward story, um, maybe to a fault. Mm-hmm. 
Right. So um, maybe Michael, can you go into the uh, the plot mechanics? I guess, and I do want to say um, there are going to be some slight spoilers, but the unfortunate thing about police knots is that it's a, a little too obvious. By the end of Act One, you can pretty much tell who the bad guys are. I mean, the sure. villain in the game might as well have devil horns and like a goatee because it's like <laughs> yeah. it is so telegraphed. It's not the most um, sophisticated story in the world, but sure. what it's drawing from those stories aren't very sophisticated either. So maybe Michael, you can get, let us know like what is this game about? <laughs> sure. So. Um... Let's see. The game starts in the starts in 2010, I believe, and uh, mankind creates um, an O'Neill cylinder, which is a certain type of space station. And Kojima, of course, you know, did tons of research on it. So, and he's willing to tell you about it all through the game if you're looking <laughs> oh, for yeah, it. Oh, God, he is. Yeah. Yeah. So they're preparing to move uh, human colonists onto it, and they decide to tra- take five police officers from around the world. Uh, two from NYPD. No, excuse me, LAPD. One from NYPD. One from Tokyo Metropolitan and one from um, Scotland Yard. So they take these five policemen and kind of train them to go into space and become sort of like, you know, impose order on the colony and they're called pol- the police knots. Um, during it, one of the one of the LAPD officers, this guy Jonathan Ingram, is out doing a routine spacewalk when something goes wrong with his suit. He uh, is propelled away from the station. He gets into a cryogenic sleep pod and he's lost for, I believe, 25 years or... I think, it, I think it's like, uh, yeah, 25, and then the game takes place maybe a few years after Peace, yeah, 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 uh, Unfrozen right. or whatever. The game place, it takes place in 2040. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's been a, it's, sorry, it's been a bit, because... Oh, don't you, worry about it. Once you've worked on it so long, too, I needed kind of yeah. a break from it. So. <laughs> yeah. I can, I, I can give you some of the dialogue verbatim, and then some of it, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I don't want to think about it anymore. But, um, uh, so, yeah, John, so Jonathan is miraculously found, and... Um, He's, you know, obviously lost 25 years. His wife has moved on and uh, moved to Beyond Coast, which is the name of the space station. Uh, you know, remarried. He's sort of just left in uh, old Los Angeles, they call it, on Earth, and sort of a relic of the past. The other police knots have, like, moved on, you know, gotten older without him. So he doesn't have anybody. Um, so his wife comes back to him because, uh, comes, uh, comes to see him because her new husband has gone missing. And she's worried about... Um, what's happened to him. She, she thinks like maybe there's something bigger going on. And at first, no matter what the player decides, Jonathan refuses to help her. But then as she's leaving, she's killed in a car bomb. Jonathan chases after the bomber who he just, you know, happens to see. And, yeah. uh, right. And, um, then decides, you know, after that guy gets away, he decides to go to beyond coast and, uh, try to try to figure out who killed her. Right. Um, yeah, he ends up hooking up with his old friend, um, uh, Ed Brown, who is basically the Murtaugh to his rigs. So um, the two, it's sort of the buddy cop thing. So in Snatcher, you had Metal Gear, which was a little robot, you know, that told you everything and stuff. And it kind of made the more adventure game sequences seem a little more natural because rather than having a protagonist sort of narrate to themselves what things were, you know, Metal Gear would kind of have a conversation with Gillian. And now Ed Brown kind of takes that role, right. more or less. So as, and he's like sort of the buddy cop. You that know? is true. I mean, I feel like even even um, Jonathan, he the way he is, why he is, why is this per- he's this person not in his own time. It gives the player a way to have things explained to them because things have to be explained to Jonathan, and Jonathan is always sort of like ruminating on the past, like. I can't smoke anymore. I've got to use these things called bent yeah. cigarettes that are basically like they predicted e-cigs, I guess, or uh, <laughs> vaping or whatever. Right. And like, you know, how beer is different. Like in the beginning of the game, you're in his office and you can like look at every object and they're all sort of like either relics of the past or like things he enjoyed in the past that are in a different form today. And he, yeah. you can look at all of them and he'll tell you like why they're different. Like like any Kojima game, he wants you to fully be in this world 
to explore every part of it. He wants every, even the smallest element, like these, like what does space do to your body? Well, here are all the things it will do, and here are the, how the people cope with that. Like he thought every part of this through. Um, that's a, yeah, that's the thing. Is it, Police Knots is linear, and he had a name for it, something like multi-tiered or multifaceted storytelling. Kojima, I mean. And um, the idea was it was supposed to be like a train ride that would bring you from A to B, but along the way you could look out the windows and see different aspects. So it's entirely possible you can play Police Knots multiple times, and as linear <laughs> as it is, there's things that you can miss or not explore fully, or, you know, there's certain events that don't necessarily happen or do, depending on what you did, you know? You'll always get, you'll always get to point B, you'll always see the major events in the sequence are supposed to happen, but there's a lot of little details along the way. Right. And, yeah, and Kojima being Kojima, there's just, like, tons of those things hidden around. Like you were saying, there's scientific explanation for nearly everything in the game, you know? Like, I feel like he must have lost interest in space after this, because (laughs) I don't see the exhaustive detail about space travel or living in space or, like aeronautics or anything like that outside of maybe the uh, the Fury or whatever that guy's name was in Metal Gear <laughs> sure. Solid 3. Uh, what is his name? The uh, the I astronaut guy. Is it the Fury? No, that, that was the Fury. Okay, yeah. cool. God, I would not have mm. forgiven myself. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, maybe he just, he just you know, uh, or maybe that was just a more optimistic time, the, the mid-90s, because I feel like he was, this is a very optimistic game, even though there is still organized crime in this new space colony, and the space colony experiences all the problems that we do on Earth. Like, Kojima was like, oh, in 2010, we'll have an orbiting space colony, sure. Mm-hmm. But I feel like we, we already spent all that money on endless war, so that is not going to happen in our, in our <laughs> lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's not getting I, political. It's just like we, we are not investing in space travel at all anymore. Yeah. I, I do get the sense from the grander story of it, and this is maybe just my own interpretation, that um, Kojima kind of felt that space travel or space colonization specifically was a bit unnatural. And he talks about the sort of things like the drugs you need, the uh, organ transplants you need, that the human, that it's almost like space is just trying to keep the human, human out, humans out of it. You know what I mean? They're just That's not, right. bi- not biologically ready, not psychologically ready for space, tra- you know, things like that. Right. And even, even little things, how like when he, when Jonathan eats food in act two, it's like, it doesn't taste like food on earth. You know, everything is just a little wrong. Um, and, and the, uh, especially the, the villains sort of like final monologue. You know, at the near the end of the game, basically, I think even just kind of goes into that where he says, like, space is a harsh environment. And yeah. this is the kind of thing you have to do to live there. He basically gives you the thesis at the end of the game, which is like what any any evil villain speech is like, here's what is going on. Here's what this is all about. Like, my <laughs> right, motivation yeah. is rooted in what I'm trying to tell you with this product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, this game, like I said, uh, it is a, it is a mystery, but the but yeah, it, there's some sort of dramatic irony there where I feel like you are really clued into what's happening far far before the characters are, and in a sense that can be frustrating because things play out really slowly in this game. It's only maybe 12 to 15 hours, but I feel like a lot of the world detail was uh, given it, like. Instead of instead of developing an interesting or compelling mystery, Kojima is more interested in developing a world, and I feel like that is one of the faults of this game, where it is telegraphed super upfront. And this is not spoilers. Like if you play the game for a few hours, you you know who the bad guy is. You might mm-hmm. not know what they're doing, but you know like oh that's clearly the bad guy. Like it is so over yeah. the top and obvious. Like like I said, <laughs> draw devil horns on him. You're one step closer to you know knowing who he is. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a strangely paced game. Um, it's seven acts total, and then there's a prologue and an epilogue. And the first two acts comprise the first of two discs on the PlayStation, and I'd say about half the game. And then the next five acts are kind of just sort of really quick, go by really quickly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it, it's it's very odd to know exactly. It, it, it's, Kojima kind of does, like, marches to his own drummer in a way, as much as he, like, takes from movies and such, like... 
you know, I guess the turning point of the game maybe happens in Act 3, but it all, there's, like, another turning point in Act 6, even though there's sort of the same character arc. It's, you know, it, it's a very, it's just very strange thematically. It is. You know, and, and it doesn't feel quite right. Like, it, it does feel very slow going, especially in the first act, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, you know? based on what he, the material he's borrowing, the, there are these really bombastic, character-driven movies with lots of explosions, and, you know, they're 90 minutes long, and every, every they're always moving to something. This game right. really takes its time. Like, I remember, it's been, like, six months since I played it, but I remember towards the end, like, you discover who the villain is, you have to go back to a place to find him and get him, everyone's mm-hmm. motivated to go, but no... The puzzle for this part is basically listening to facts about the moon for maybe 20 minutes. You just oh, sit yeah, there and yeah. listen to facts about the moon. Like, how, how big is the moon? Like, what's mm-hmm. the gravity like? What Like, all these facts about the moon. And it just, like, it stops the, the, the plot dead just for that. Just, like, we have the space to include info about the moon. We're going to tell you, goddammit. You're going to learn about the moon. There's a there's a definite Suda 51 type of insp- like moment where you're on a space plane going to Beyond, Post at the end, uh, Beyond Coast at the end of the prologue. And since a space flight from Earth to a colony, the colony, and I think it's L3, um, would take about two days, Kojima purposefully made that scene kind of long. Yeah. So you have to ask about everything. There's sure. optional things you can do, but it eventually just takes very long for that scene sequence to end. Yeah. And as, as much as I, like, coded the game, or, you know, like, recoded the game to fit the English in and all that, that was, like, the one scene I could never make it go any faster. <laughs> and I was just trying to, you know. I feel like we had, we had more patience back then because, like, this sort of a product was still very novel. Like, the sort of interactive comic book with the hotspots you can click on to, you know, advance the story. Yeah. Um, just, like, this is the perfect time for Kojima to be self-indulgent. When I played mm-hmm. it in 2013, it was not as easy to play through, maybe, as I would have enjoyed in 1994 or 96 when it came out on yeah. the PlayStation. Like, but oh, let's get going. Now we played Desert Bus in Space. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Yeah, Desert Bus in Space, yeah. uh, the police not story. Now, speaking of Suda51, uh, this game has some sort of, uh, I would call problematic elements uh, that eventually go away. It's weird that they're all sort of up front. I don't know if they're just there to hook you, but this game has a yes. real way of shoving anime babes in your face <laughs> for no good reason. Right. It's just like yeah. so salacious and really clashes with the tone. This this ultra serious tone with this man like living in a time that's not his, but it's like he's constantly getting like, like it's frigging Love Hina or Tenchi Moyo or something. <laughs> and it's just very strange. And like, like like uh, Jillian Seed or Gillian Seed, um, however you say the name, I forget. Uh, Jonathan Ingram is a lech, and I think that is the only reason for that to happen is so like Kojima could get his kind of pervy side into the game because unfortunately you have the option of groping female characters in the game, and they they mind, but they don't react with the the violence and anger that they should. They're just like, oh, that's annoying. Stop that. I'll have you removed from this building. It's what just are you like, doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you, you, you rascal. Yeah, no, and I feel like mean. if there was ever a remake, that would not be in it. And maybe this is the reason why Kojima does not like to talk about it because I hear games journalists say, like, 
that's not something you ask him about. Uh, it could be any number of reasons, but I, I mean, based on his recent work with uh, Crown Zeros, I'm not sure if that's the reason, but uh, yeah. I feel like that's something you should know about before you go into this. You don't have to. You're not obligated to grope women, but it's something that he can do. And in my opinion, that makes him less of a likable character because it's just like, who is this guy? Like, who, the, right. who does he think he is doing this? But I feel like that just, you know, this is a very, very, very self-indulgent game for all the good things it does. And that is something that I feel is just another byproduct of being self-indulgent. Like, of course you can grope these hot babes that are always flo- floating around in a space. But, when, oh, go yeah. ahead. No, no, no. Um, one of the um, one of the interesting things about Snatcher and Police Knots is with that, uh, that aspect of it, you do sort of get to play it your way. Um, you can just go, you can go through the game. You don't, there's one girl you kind of have to bounce, you yes, know? Yes, yeah. <laughs> you can't, you can't get around that scene. But like, you know, you, you can actually have a sort of, playthrough where Jonathan's not like looking at asses and tits like 24-7. If you do, there's always a response or like you said, these like sort of red events for it. Yeah, Um, yeah. And Gillian was sort of similar back in Snatcher, you know, like you could hit on Katrina Gibson if you really wanted to or you could not. Um, So at the very least, the option was there. I never really understood exactly what was going on with like some of these scenes and it's it's interesting because there's a part in Act 3 where Jonathan, um, there's a girl who is kind of into Jonathan, and if he wanted to, he could totally hook up with her, but he kind of feels it's wrong because it's his ex-wife's daughter, and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. when push came to shove, I guess, like, this other stuff he's doing, he just considered sort of playful or nothing, and this, um, this is sort of, like, a line for him, you know? So I, I think you're supposed to come away with, like, He's not a total scumbag, although the other stuff he's doing isn't yeah. really, you know. The fact that he drew his line, that he drew the line at, you know, having sex or having a relationship with the younger version of his wife, I felt that was a good choice. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they didn't reward him with a trophy, you know, like, here's a younger version of your wife. That would be really creepy, like, yeah. Yeah. ultra creepy. The, the way I, I'd read um, the bouncing groping stuff was, you know, you, you had all these visual novels in Japan, and I'm not an expert on visual novels. Really, Snatcher and Police Knots and 999 are like, I only play clearly the mainstream ones. Um, is that, you know, maybe back in the day, people would click on, you know, like girl, like the girls, like boobs or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Some response. yeah. And this was sort of an Easter egg thing. Maybe Kojima had put in to sort of like say, look, no, you do get something this time. I, but, I feel that way too. I feel like, uh, games are a lot more brazen about this kind of content where it's like, yeah. this is not every Japanese game, but now there are games. It's like, you can rip the clothes off of very, very young looking <laughs> women. And that's the point oh, of the geez. entire game here. It's buried as like a cheeky little secret that I still find gross, but it's not like, like, like I said, it's optional. And, um, you know, it's not something you have to do. Yeah. yeah, it's it's definitely something, yeah, Kojima's just, Kojima's always weird with stuff like that. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Snake Eater, even though the main character was pretty, I guess, I don't know if I want to use the word demure, but he wasn't a big hornball, like, even Solid Snake was, you know? I think, yeah, I think, like, Old Snake <laughs> is more horny about guns than he is about women. Yeah, you know? <laughs> but that's the thing, like, or he'll sneak, he'll, like, kind of glance at Eva, but, like, if she goes to hit on him, he sort of, like, shies away from it. Yeah, Which yeah. I think is very interesting, yeah. but, um... That said, when you have her in survival viewer, you can, like, rotate the model and jiggle her boobs and stuff. And, like, yeah. there's all sorts of weird little Easter eggs like that. Or in Metal Gear Solid 4, you can, you know, increase your stress gauge by looking up, like, Naomi's skirt or whatever. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just... and it's like you can, put, you can put porn on the floor of, like, a <laughs> military installation and guys will just stop and, like, look at it. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Does, Apparently, does, yeah. Yeah. I've heard rumors that apparently in real life, he's uh, Kojima is kind of... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? He's he's sort of like prudish in a way, you Weird, know. Like okay. for, yeah, like he's not outwardly like that. So maybe that's something he inserts into games. I don't know. It's mm. 
it's always just a very weird thing, and it sort of became one of his like signatures, you know. And yeah. then it, yeah, and then you get the Ground Zero stuff, and it's like, okay, I don't know what the hell's going on anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, he'll draw the line somewhere, but there was also like all these other lines behind it. <laughs> yeah, and, it's an elaborate it's like, network of lines. Yeah. yeah, why don't we go back to yeah, bouncing the girls, idiot? That's that was yeah. a little bit, you know. Yeah. It's, but, weird um, that, it's weird that groping is now so innocent. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but I mean, we've been we've been handwringing about this for a long time, and I do want to move on to a more positive note. I feel like, um, sure. especially for a, a game uh, made by a Japanese writer and Japanese. Developers, the portrayal of Ed, who is a black character, is very, very progressive. Like, he is in no way defined by his race. He is not right. like a quote unquote sassy, you know, character or whatever. He, I don't think his, his, like, his race is even brought up, like, at any point, like, as something that would affect his no. life. Like, I feel like maybe this is a straight, like, maybe Koji, Kojima is saying, like, in, in the future, race is not an issue, but maybe mm-hmm. he didn't over, he didn't think that hard about it. But I like, I like Ed's portrayal. He's a very human character, he's got a family. Like, I feel like as a, as a black male character, he's a very, like, strong, uh, like, figure, you know? When yeah. He does not play up any stereotypes, you know? And um, I have not seen Lethal Weapon, so I'm not sure if Danny Glover's character is the same way. But mm-hmm. I feel like this is a very progressive thing for, especially for a Japanese game, because, like, we are used to seeing the sort of, like, Sambo caricature that, um, you know, the blackface caricature should pop up mm-hmm. in games, like, out of nowhere. In this game, he is, he is drawn, like, maybe his lips are accentuated a tiny bit, but it's not, it's never, like, insulting or, like, like right. off-putting, except with that one scene at the end where his son draws a picture of his dad, and it's just, like, it's, <laughs> he looks like Mr. Popo, basically. Mm, right. So, uh, but, I <laughs> yeah. mean, I don't know if you guys agree with me, but I, I like that part of this game where it's, like, yeah, I feel I like right. only with The Walking Dead in games like yeah. that have we gotten a character, like, that is not defined by their yeah. race. Yeah. I mean, and to, I think, to Jonathan's, yeah. It's just my partner, Ed. Yeah. Yep. That's Yeah, exactly. It. I think even Ed has a stronger character arc than Jonathan does, you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Like, he, he goes through some shit and he reaches, like, an epiphany and, like, he changes. That's exactly it. He's, he's the one with real growth in the whole thing. Yeah, you know? actually, now that you mention, I feel like Jonathan, like will never move on. He is, like, kind of committed to being stuck in the past, but, like, yeah. he's, he's been able to help people, and that's really all that matters to him. Yeah, he's... Jonathan, I mean, you know, besides all the other stuff, he's... He, I guess he's supposed to be a bit of a tragic character, and they bring up the myth of, um... What is it? Hiroshima Ataro? Thank you, yeah. the Which is, you know, a tragic kind of story of the guy who loses his youth, and then, you know... Um, yeah, but Ed, you know, Ed has this, like, sort of epiphany where he used to be sort of wild and him and Jonathan would have fun, and now he's sort of, like, laid back and conservative and he's afraid he doesn't want to lose his mortgage, he's got his family, you know. And then there's points, probably the bomb scene is maybe that sort of breaking point. Then afterwards, you know, he's more willing to take risks and, like, he's excited to go into the um, the mass driver in Act 5 and everything where Jonathan's, like, the one who doesn't want to really do it, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Ed, yeah, Ed is a great character, and, like, I, th- I feel like I connected more with him because he was just, like, the world-weary guy just putting up with things, and Jonathan, you know, he was a little more out of place than yeah. Ed was. And yeah, uh, exactly. there, there's, they, they handled his family really well, not to go on too long about this, but, like, I, he, ha- he has a son who experienced a very tragic event, and mm-hmm. um, he's he can't talk or he's he's unable to speak and um, and Ed is explaining to Jonathan oh he has he has autism and I was like that's not how autism works right and uh, and then immediately Jonathan is like that I heard that's not how autism works he's like no no that just it's easier to explain it that way and Jonathan's yeah, yeah, like yeah. oh okay and I was like that was remarkably mature for a game that was written in 1994 where I guess yeah. we didn't know as much about autism but I was like wow I, that was that was like actually surprising to me mm-hmm. oh yeah. 
It's a, uh, and, and I have to tell you things like that where, uh, you know, and I, I know the second hand because again, the Mark Laidlaw was the main, tra- was the actual translator on it. But he said that like things like this, there was tons of biology he had to look into, space science things, because translating all that research that Kojima did and, you know, into English would just took, like, I think it took about a year and a half, if I remember. I'm sure there were some kanji that have not been used in like decades <laughs> yeah. being dragged out of storage for this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so um, I guess I don't know. Like you brought up the uh, the bomb sequence, Michael, and I, I gotta say there are very few puzzles in this game, and the ones that are in the game are ex- extremely uh, lame. Uh, there there is one. Okay, I like the bomb sequence. I'll, I'll get into that in a second. There is one that is basically like a highlights for children puzzle, where it's mm. like which one of these doesn't belong. It's like you pick the one that is the the one you're looking for. It's out of out of a number of objects, they're all very similar. You're looking for one object. Oh right, right, right. And you're yeah. and you're slowly going through them and like looking for the differences. I mean, they didn't try very hard. The one great puzzle that you mentioned is the bomb disposal sequence where you are as in any great like 80s 90s cop movie you are disarming a bomb while getting instructions from your partner and like just sweating sweating your balls off through the process while they're like giving these awesome quips back and forth to each other like trying to laugh their way through a horrible situation and the way the game makes you do it you have to pay attention to these tiny details on the screen as you kind of like trace your way through this bomb. And when I was playing it, I was like up against my TV, like holding the controller with sweaty hands, just like, <laughs> just like I felt like I was in the moment. And in that moment, I felt like it was that snatcher moment where, you know, Metal Gear tells you to turn up your your volume on your yeah. TV and then Koji, Kojima messes with you. In the same way, it's like he got me close to that, to that, you know, the TV as if I was really, you know, there and disarming the bomb. And I really, really liked that part of the game. I it's... wish there were more puzzles like that in the game. It's a really excellent puzzle. One of our beta testers described, said it might even be the best puzzle in any adventure game he's ever played. But everything about it really works. Um, the characters start whispering to each other. And then as you're doing it, all you get is like the tick, tick, tick of the timer going through it. You have the timer itself kind of weighing on you. It, it really works phenomenally well, you know. I'd, yeah. I'd even It was definitely my favorite. Uh, yeah, I'd even say it was my favorite part of the game. Yeah, and as much as we, as we complain about like old pixel hunt you know, puzzles in uh, old adventure games. And this one, you have to kind of be pixel perfect when you're snipping the wires. And like, mm. I was playing on my on my HD monitor. I can't imagine with a CRT TV yeah. with an RF switch <laughs> hooked up to it, like how fuzzy that was, like so much trial oh, and error, yeah. but yeah. And there's, yeah, there's like one part where you have to, have to drag a, a shaking piece of metal like out of a maze yes, in a way. Yes, that, which, was, that was the most intense part. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like a very lame puzzle when you describe it. When you're actually doing it, it's kind of well done. You know, because it's not too much. Apparently, the original PC-98 version is just nearly impossible because you have to do it with the mouse. (laughs) And it's so tight, you know? Um, And then you do get those Kojima moments if you fail it because then, you know, in the next scene, like, Jonathan and Hedrick are just like, well, that didn't go well. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I do like that. I do like... I I feel like... uh, Above all else, Kojima knows he's making a video game where I hate to keep using this as an example, but I, David Cage is really committed to the illusion of being like something else. But Kojima will always like take it back a step and be like, no, no, this is still a video game. There's still video game type <laughs> things happening in it, you know, and I, I don't a, think he's ashamed of that. There's a great Easter egg, too, if you mess up that section I'm talking about. I think it's three times Ed says like, hey, do you want me to do this for you? And if you let him he'll like very slowly go through and you think, okay, I've done it and I, I just lose some time. But then at the very end, he messes it up. Really oh, I didn't bad. know that. Like, yeah. That is, that is perfect. It's See, like, it makes you wait the whole time and then you just lose anyway. God, I really then, wish there were more puzzles in the game like that, but it, this is a very puzzle-free game. I, I don't yeah. particularly care for the action scenes, but um, I feel like the, the whole exploration of the world makes up for it, even if the story is not as compelling. I feel like if you're interested in, in Hideo Kojima in his, like, in his oeuvre, 
This mm-hmm. is this is worth playing if you're a fan of him. It may not be, you know, it was once this mythic object that we all wanted to touch and explore. And, and you know, a- after playing through it, it's like, it's a, it's a good game. It has problems, but it's maybe not as, like, godly as we all once thought it was. But I, I still feel like it's worth playing through. How do you guys feel, Michael or Ray? I mean, Michael has played through it, I'm guessing, and Ray, I'm not sure how much experience you have with it. I played a little bit, uh, yeah. Not like a, not, 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 only a couple hours maybe. Uh, yeah, I think I was, you know, also into Snatcher at the time and was always waiting for Police Knots, you know, when Konami sort of half announced it and had it, you know, up mm-hmm. for a while and sort of teased it through to American audiences. And so, like, to finally play it, it was like, well, yeah, I, I, I knew what I was getting into, uh, but I, I don't know. It's okay. I think as an adventure game, it's fine. It's exactly just, just like Snatcher. I mean, I think you're right about, like, the gunplay stuff. That's not that great. They could have improved on that. So I think I'm just more bugged by, like, visual stuff, like, you know, seeing the compressed anime video. All oh, the time, yeah, yeah. You know? Super <laughs> artifacty. Yeah. Right. That could have been better, but I'm, maybe it was better on the CRT back then. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Like yeah. So, yeah, not not no great opinions really beyond what we already talked about for sure. Um, I, I'm pretty mixed on it. I, I personally, I like Snatcher better. Um, a lot of people I yeah. talk to, they go either way. The, the one interest the one thing about it is, um, I did a video let's play of Snatcher with a friend of mine who had never played it or anything. And because it was Hideo Kojima, he was kind of expecting like the stuff you get from Metal Gear Solid 2 and beyond, like his later stuff where the plot is super trippy and way mind blowing kind of th- not mind blowing but you know what i mean like kind of mind warping and weird yeah, yeah and the thing the thing about snatcher police knots and i think even the first metal gear solid is i you find a more withdrawn kojima where there's still you know in-depth plots and conspiracies and things like that but it's not like crazy with like arsenal gear and stuff yeah so now that we got police knots in english way later I think people go back to it, you know, um, maybe expecting like some sort of like, oh, this is gonna like make my head explode with how nuts it is. But it's really just kind of a sci-fi story at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, and at that, it's it's barely a sci-fi story. I think it, it's more of just a you know standard detective a crime story with not sure. too many interesting twists and turns, but. Really, it, you're playing the game for that exploration of this possible future that we never got, I think. You know, mm-hmm. this idealized space future that was, you know, Kojima's dream in the 90s. Who knows what his dream is now? Maybe we'll find out when he makes a game that takes place <laughs> in in post whatever year it is now. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of a Fairweather Kojima fan. I like the Metal Gear Solids, although, like, sometimes they go a little too over the top for my taste, you know? I think yeah. Snake Eater was the best one still. Um so, but for me, like, part of the reason, I t- too, is that I think he is a really creative guy, even if he is kind of borrowing a lot from movies. Right. And I do kind of wish he would go back, in a way, to the Snatcher Police Knots things, where he has more sort of original IPs, you know, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, he's not tied down to 30 years of fiction that was written when games were really stupid, you know? Right, yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah, I, I would, you know I, I know, I know we'll never, ever get a sequel to Snatcher, really, but um, as much as he teases it and jokes, but, you know... Uh, Police Knots is kind of the closest thing we have to it then. So, you know, uh, for a game, you know, again, Snatcher, I played when I was 14. I loved it. It was, like, one of my favorite games and stuff. So if this is the closest we're going to get to that, then, hey, you know, yeah, happy enough, I guess. <laughs> so my last question today for everyone is uh, what, what could a remake do for Police Knots or should it even be remade? Like, I feel like Kojima returned to Snatcher with Sudatcher, which is a radio play, which I think is it like a prequel or is it a sequel? I don't know what it is. It's a it's a prequel. Prequel. It, um, it follows the life of uh, life. It follows uh, John Jock Gibson as the main character, who's 
indisposed for the events of Snatcher early on. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know what it is, and I don't know why Suda was so brazen as to stick his name in it, just to say, let people know that he was part of it. I'm not sure what he did, but... Um, that, by the way, that was also translated by Junker HQ. Oh, the wow. The guys who did Police Nazi, yeah. Okay, cool. I'll have yeah. to check that out, yeah, if I it's worth on, it. Yeah, on YouTube, subtitled, basically. But yeah, I mean, uh, Kojima was willing to return to the world of Snatcher, but... I feel like Police Knots, if he was ever willing to go back, it could be edited so much better. It could mm-hmm. provide a more compelling mystery. And it could be delivered on devices where these kind of these kind of games would thrive, like, you know, iPads, iPhones. Like, I feel like just now people are starting to realize, like, yes, Phoenix Wright on an iPad or an iPhone makes so much sense. Visual novels on these devices are the best idea. Um, how do mm-hmm. you guys feel, Ray? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm sure that's been brought up to Kojima many times. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. But he <laughs> never really... Uh, struck me as someone willing to go back to his past like that. Mm. I mean, sure, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll, talk, he'll talk about Big Boss for years and years, but <laughs> I mean, as far as like actual game products, like, I, yeah, he, he always seemed really, really reluctant to revisit that stuff. Mm. I mean, I, I guess, you know, maybe another ex, uh, exception was like Twin Snakes, but other than that, like, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. Like Jonathan Ingram, he's haunted by his past. Yeah. <laughs> Michael, how about you? What do you feel about uh, just the p- potential for a remake or like would this even be accessible to people? I mean, I'm just, just throwing out ideas here. I, uh, I I think it would have to be really reworked. You know, Police Knots is very much on rails. And, yeah. Um, even, even the games that have hit somewhat big, things like 999 or Virtue's Last Reward or Phoenix Wright, you know, they, they have long story sequences, but there is a lot that you, the ca- you the player, actually do. And Police Nuts has a, a bunch, but not, not very much. It's not very in-depth. You typically just click on a couple of things until you've advanced the story, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Kojima did tweet actually somewhat recently about, and it's like his millionth little hint on the thing, so I don't <laughs> give it any credence, but like that, you know, maybe someone else could work on Snatcher on Snatcher uh, for a mobile version, you know? And I do think that, yeah, the DS or some mobile device or, you know, PSP Vita or something, I think would be a great platform for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not holding my breath, but, uh, here, yeah. you know, yeah, yep. um, I, I think it could. I just think it would need to be reworked. I was thinking when you were talking that uh, it was a game made for a very specific kind of audience and a very specific kind. Right. Uh, very, sorry, very specific time. And like I said that about Sierra games a few episodes ago, and some people got mad. But I remember watching uh, Michael your your King's Quest videos and just <laughs> wondering how anyone could enjoy those games. But then I was thinking like this was someone's like um, like their mountain to climb. Like they would chip away at this game every day for like months because yep. there was nothing else to do. Yeah. And th- we live in a world where we are surrounded by th- lots of things to do. So like the the impetus to play through something this long and at times tedious might not always be there. I, I was unemployed for a year. I had a lot of time, so <laughs> no time was wasted if it was playing video games. Um, right. So yeah, um, well, thank you for joining us so much, Michael. Let me just wrap up the uh, show real quick. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and Twitch.tv as Retronauts, and be sure to go to our blog at retronauts.com for all the notes for this episode. I'll let you know where you can find the translation, more links about police knots in general, and other fun stuff. And as always, please keep the reviews coming. They help us out a lot on the iTunes Music Store. So, contact info. I am at Bob Servo on Twitter, and you can also read my work on US Gamer and Something Awful. Uh, Michael, where can we find you? Um, on Twitter, I'm at Slowbeef. Uh, I also do a, a video game comedy channel uh, called Retsu Prey. Uh, that's R E T S U P U R A E. You can Google that if you can manage to spell it. <laughs> um, we're on YouTube and also uh, Twitter. I fully endorse those videos. They are hilarious, and I love, um, God, Dark Seed 2. 
<laughs> I think I've watched that playthrough a few times, and my, I'm a Mike Dawson uh, fan. I'm delighted <laughs> that you guys started doing Kickstarter pitches. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I'm I'm loving that. Oh, I need to dive into one. those. <laughs> oh, they're they're you can't believe it's great. Yeah. Ray, uh, where can I find you? Oh, well, where can I find you? Well, You're right in front of me. Yeah. Well, where can everyone Come else on. find you? Come on, <laughs> get it together. Uh, I'm on Twitter, R D B A A A, and uh, yeah, I still have my game magazine. Scroll, scroll that VG. Awesome. Well, like I said, Michael, thanks again. It was great to have you on to talk about Police Knots, and I hope this gets people more interested in this game, which is still a mystery to many. I feel like not enough people have tried it, at least. So hopefully this will inspire you. So until next time, uh, this has been Retronauts. Mendoza! <laughs>